everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Don Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Don't forget to, to introduce our other guest today, John's neighbor's leaf blower. <laughs> another guest, John's neighbor's leaf blower. Uh, it's a fun fact. Leaf blowers are illegal in, in this city. Um, and, yet, and, yet. and yet here we are. Just Actually, fun fact, the reason I found out about that uh, fact was him. As he <laughs> leaf blows in the middle of the one time we can record, I guess I guess it's almost like it's almost like a metaphor for the the leaves are the many players transferring uh, out and then hopefully eventually into the Syracuse basketball program programs. Yeah, transfer season approaching, or or, or maybe it's already here uh, for for Syracuse women's basketball anyway. Um, Dan, I figure we talk about the Sweet Sixteen for a few here and then jump into uh, the copious amount of transfer news uh, between men's basketball, women's basketball, and we even had football just for good measure today uh, just, just to kick off the week with some, some existential dread for at least some of our, uh, I'd say not even like the, the most like negative fans. I think at this point, this is like everybody's at least a little concerned about women's basketball. Um, hearing Jim Beheim say on Brent Axe on Monday that, you know, between four and six players could be on the way out. Like that's certainly concerning. Um, if only because Jim hasn't made a habit of adding a lot of transfers. Um, and we only have one commit right now for 2022. It's concerning, but bayheim has been basically warning of us, us of this for weeks. Like this is not the first time he even brought it up. He's mentioned it, I think on his show and on Brent's show multiple times in the last couple, like as we've led up to the end of the season here. And also I think this is just kind of the way of the world now. Like there are so many guys from big programs, small programs entering the transfer portal. I think it's much more of like a college basketball thing than a, than a Syracuse thing. Um, I, the women's program, I think is a little more of a concern. Cause there's so many people so far, but um, if, if, if the men's program is of the five or six, that's, you know, that's, that's a, a big impact. Even if it's guys that weren't, hugely impactful players this year that doesn't mean they wouldn't have become them and then like a guy like robert braswell who was in the transfer portal um and we should note like that doesn't necessarily mean they're leaving i think most of the time they do but you, you never know what's gonna happen but um like braswell you know emerges a big player for us down the stretch i i would argue he was our best defensive wing at the end of the year i think the lineups that included him were some of our better lineups at the end of the year so he's a guy that you would hope uh would have had a bigger role next year and, and maybe even you know maybe jim tells him that and like you know that just because you know benny williams is coming in doesn't necessarily mean that braswell is going to play less like he could continue to to see more time assuming he uh continues to improve both offensively and defensively but it's still a concern uh you don't want to see it especially with promising young players um but we'll see what the extent is because if it's just jba and i figured one of the two young uh, bigs that didn't play this year at least would tra- tamp, uh, would would see this between him and Anselm. I think we'll still be fine, uh, especially if Barama comes back. Because then, like, I think the Barama Jesse combo would be about as competent a center combo as we've had in a long time. But if if we start getting into guys who are like big impactful players, uh, like the whole the whole season, or like you know, I'm, I'm, this is just complete. Uh, just like a, a what if, like if it was like a Kadari who, you know, I think is, we are big fans of and and is in line to have an even bigger role next year. Like that would really concern me. It be, if it if it tops out at like Braswell, JBA, and a couple other guys like Woody, um, who I think is also being rumored here, um, guys who like we would love to see stay but didn't play a lot, and you kind of get it, then I think we'll survive it, and and we'll probably end up bringing in a couple guys. I think Bit Jim's been more open about uh, the need for the team to, to add some. 
um, players in the transfer portal than he has been in the past, even when we have used it. So uh, it'll be fascinating. It'll be a really fascinating offseason. I think we can enter the season with a really solid young nucleus or solid nucleus of players that were on the team this year with a couple, uh, you know, add-ons who could really maybe push us into like potentially preseason top 25 uh, consideration, or we could have a very, very new roster, which is intriguing, but also scary. So we'll see what, ha- what happens. I hope, I hope we bring back most of the guys. I think we were, we were finding something at the end of the year. And I hope that whatever changes there are, are like uh, additive and not like completely transformational, uh, trans transformational. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> I knew it was there somewhere. Yeah. It exists. Uh, yeah. I mean, Braswell, you know, we, we'll talk a little bit more about transfers, like as we go here, but, you know, Braswell was uh, disappointing because, yeah, like you said, he was a big part of um, a lineup that was working, in particular a lineup that was working pretty well against Houston um, when we did have it on the floor. Uh, that was, you know, Kadari Richmond, uh, Buddy Bayheim, uh, Braswell was on the floor, um, Gary A and Jesse Edwards. Like that was a group that, you know, didn't have necessarily the same offensive firepower on paper, but was still doing something. You know, Buddy was kind of shut down a bit. Um, in that game, uh, Giroux was healthy for Houston, and that certainly didn't help matters. But uh, SU didn't necessarily have a big plan B together um, in what was a 16-point loss. I, I think after we saw Jesse Edwards um, come in, help spur a, a comeback to, to pull it even at 20, um, it was certainly disappointing to find ourselves down you know, by 10 at halftime once again. Like Syracuse definitely had the work cut out for them from the beginning. I think, again, the fact that Jarreau was healthy, the fact that we really couldn't get anything going um, from outside uh, consistently, that would have to me, and, and again, I'm not going to sit here and just like pick apart every decision Jim Beheim made, but I think that would have spurred a consistent like dedication to getting to the rim, getting to the line, things we did for a handful of minutes at, at a time and then kind of went back away from them. Um, I thought the press was working until it suddenly wasn't like, it just seemed like everything SU tried to do, it couldn't do for long enough to sustain a, a real, you know, not just a comeback, but then a comeback that led to taking the lead um, against Houston and ultimately like a pretty hapless effort on offense, you know, brought us to a 46 point total, not at all um, what we wanted. I, I think, you know, the, the guys over on the live cast um, recap that game at length and we don't want to like, you know, continue to be the dead horse. It's just it's disappointing to see the offense, fade the way it did but uh you could also argue that the way the offense was performing was also unsustainable um so maybe a regression to the mean to this extent uh what wasn't predicted but um expecting us to be able to just continue to fire on all cylinders and be a ridiculously efficient offense probably wasn't going to be the case either and I think a lot of it's Houston. Like they right now are up 22, 12 on Oregon state, Oregon state's five for 13 as we're recording this. Um, and they've been red hot as well. So I think Houston's defense, like we knew it was good. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, their strategy was great. Um, I think, and I said it on Twitter, I think like in terms of just, just one thing fighting through screens and over the top on buddy, I've never seen a team or at least not recently do better than that. Than, and then Jerome specifically, like he did not, he attacked the screens and was just never not face guarding buddy. It was really impressive. Um, and yeah, and we, we, we tried a couple of different things. We, we ran double high top screens. We ran singles. Uh, we tried to have him curl off some stuff, like nothing. We tried to get buddy open And that was like the key to our offense. This whole run obviously was working. Um, obviously there were some things like, I thought there were some moments where like we should have gone to Darier more like we were earlier in the year. Um, 
it doesn't help that like Alan Riffin again was was you know kind of a ghost. Um, but like they just really went hard after taking away what has been our our best option since the beginning of March, the end of February, and they did it to like an extent that um, we probably didn't even think was possible, especially with the injury to Juro. Uh, so they 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 are really really good on defense. I don't think we should take that away from from them in terms of like what was a disappointing performance by SU, but it was not aided by the fact that we played a really good team. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And, and and you saw like once, I mean, the efficiency stuff that we were talking about last week, like once they got going and once they were able to find their spots from outside, like it was just a really hard squad to beat. Like, like Edwards, Edwards, they, they found some ways around him, but largely Edwards was able to, to take away some things and take away passes in the middle. And you just saw the team overall be more energized in the defensive end. But like, the one thing we talked about on Slack and a little bit on Twitter too is like, even when SU figured out that they had to keep driving the lane, like when you have players that just don't have the the bulk, and I mean, and this isn't like a knock on Dolajai, this has just been the case for him his entire career. Like Dolajai couldn't go up hard enough to be able to sell a foul and, and, and just wasn't resulting in the whistles we needed either. And that was something that, you know, Kevin kind of hinted at last week. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, they just... They, they were they ended up being a really bad matchup for us in a lot of ways and then offensively it's funny because after the game i feel like there was all this stuff about them reading the zone like they had a pretty bad game themselves they shot 37 percent. they were like under 30 percent from three i will take that defensive performance by us all day totally. obviously it was a lot better when jesse was in um and i i do think we pulled him early especially because he had no fouls we pulled him in the first half and i get like Jim is probably right. He probably was tired. There were only like four minutes left in the half. I would have at least tried to get like another two out of him. Um, not that I'm, you know, not to second guess the Hall of Fame coach, but it does. It did like it was like a, a switch uh, flipped when Jesse came in and then came out um, in the first half. He is so uh, he just seems really instinctually good at playing in the middle of that zone. He interrupted the passing lanes incredibly well, as you said. Um, got his hand on so many cross court passes. Really, just completely interrupted their flow. Um, if I, I mean, I, you know, there's no rumors about him leaving, uh, at this point, it's just tough to like Jim said five or six. So it's like everyone, but buddy basically is, is like up for, up for grabs in terms of speculation. Uh, assuming Jesse stays like he should be really, really good defensively next year. And I hope, I mean, I would love to have just a situation where he and Brahma are there uh, or he and, and Frank, if Brahma graduates and leaves, um, just playing like if it's the former like 20 and 20 minutes, honestly, and just keep them both super fresh. If it's him and Frank and Frank is back 25 and 15, like I think our center situation next year should be quite good, which is nice. Cause that's, you know, it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like what we could do there. I'd love to be able to add another big. I know we've been in on a few different guys in the 2022 class. Rob. Um, yeah. Come join the, uh, the, 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 the light side or dark side, depending on your, <laughs> on your viewpoint. <laughs> Well, Hob, I haven't seen a ton of conversation on on, on the Georgetown transfer. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't mean things aren't happening. I do feel like, especially on the football side, usually if you don't hear your name come up in the initial like group of, oh, this guy's floating this, this, and this, like you're probably screwed. Yeah, it's also like it's very easy to pop up uh, what to have all your fans bring it up when you recruited the guy, and that, and it's it's funny. There doesn't actually seem to be that strong a correlation between like. And I could be wrong. If someone's done the research on this, I'm just like, based on what I've seen and just like noticed, it doesn't seem like the correlation between was recruited out of high school and then and that ends up being his list going forward um, is really there. Um, and the schools that come in late and snatch these guys are like the real, like, like when Duke comes in like last minute on a transfer and they want him, they like, that's when uh, it shakes it up. But if you're not mentioned earlier, right, I think there's, it's tough to uh, get back involved, but also the, the information on this stuff is always all over the place. So 
hopefully we're involved in i mean i think you can always use another big honestly so i'm, I'm all for it i think a big and i think another guard like just because obviously i think the three guard rotation was working at the end of the year but uh, I think we could really use another kind of drive and kick player to go with Buddy to go with uh, our other shooters. Yeah, I mean, and and, and we don't want to feel too much like random speculation here, but you know, the we already know two guys leaving. Um, I think you know Braswell was a surprise in there, even though he did talk about uh, leaving last year uh, before deciding to come back. Like he's one. Um, obviously you have John Malajak, a guy that I think, you know, you and I and others have kind of floated for a while. Like if there was somebody that seemed like they were going to leave, um, he seemed like a, a, a shoe in, if only because um, he wasn't getting minutes and it seemed like we were kept recruiting over him and bringing younger guys to play, you know, before him. So realistically, when someone who didn't have much of a path to playing time um, throughout the rest of his career, um, I think Dolajai is another guy who seems likely to, maybe leave not because he doesn't like it at SU maybe just because he can earn you know six seven figures playing in Europe and, and yeah. I wouldn't blame him there um Gary a, he's been here for so long like oh, yeah, he's, he's been here for a bunch of times I, w- I would take him back in a second obviously he had a rough last game but he was so good for us in the tournament before that so I'd take him I mean I would love to have him right back but I totally totally get it if he wants to go play in Europe and, and cash in for like a for you know 10 12 years no absolutely like and that's what, what people I hope people are understanding like that, that that that's part of the math for a lot of these guys is like you don't necessarily have to play in the NBA. Like you can go and make a lot of money and be very successful playing in Europe and, and Dolce is someone who could do that. Gary A floated his name um, you know, to NBA circles, and I think he's someone who could leave. I think he'll probably get like an initial evaluation and see like where does he stand. And I think Gary A's fate at the end of the season probably doesn't give NBA scouts the same warm fuzzies they had about him as a, as a, you know, physical talent and potential guy um, at the beginning of the year. But, you know, he is old for his age. He's somebody who could probably and should probably jump if he has any glimmers of getting picked, even if it's in the second round. And he ends up going the G League or Europe route um, after that. Uh, Woody Newton, you know, we, we kind of mentioned earlier, like is another guy. I mean, unfortunately, when you list all those guys out alone, um, and maybe add Griffin into the mix if he has any NBA potential at all. And, and the way he faded kind of at the end doesn't necessarily help him out, but who knows? Like he's somebody who, again, like he's not going to transfer again, probably even if he can't play right away. Like that's, that's most of the front court. Um, and, and considering front court, like had some issues at times uh, this past year, like that's not ideal. Um, and then that's also a lot of names, you know, we hope Kadari Richmond doesn't join that list um of guys leaving it seems like for the most part that buddy and uh and joe gerard are staying but like even if even if Kadari, joe and buddy are all staying you need another guard for sure I, i'm gonna go ahead and say buddy will not be joining the transfer portal no, uh, I, I will but, but assign my said, own sources <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but buddy already said he's yeah like but buddy's yeah. obviously <laughs> like the, the the name that is not going anywhere um i would say joe's in that group too at the same time like i'm not gonna say never Joe seems to love being at SU. I'd be very surprised. Yes, yeah, I, I think Buddy's at 100% staying, and I would put Joe at like 95. Like it, anything could happen, but um, I'd be very surprised about those two. And then you kind of work your way down from there. Yeah. So that still leaves a lot. Like, I mean, Benny Williams coming in um, as a five star recruit, like that's great. Um, that gives you depth for like a year before you have to probably replace him as a one and done. Um, again, we don't have, we only have him in 2022 right now. There's still more work that needs to get done. Um, I'm pretty concerned for our like ability. I do think we need to add probably 
two transfers at least and two more high school players. And it's a concern for me, like long-term or just, I, I think it's obviously a small sample size. I think there's a decent chance that we are going to not have as much success with the transfer market uh, as like a plug and play type deal as other programs, because we play the zone. Um, like just if, if you look at like our history of transfers, um, Wes and uh, Elijah and Mike Benajay all had to wait a year and like learn the zone, learn the system. And they were quite good um, pretty much off the bat. Obviously I think Elijah and, and Benajay took like another year of playing to like really get up to speed, but like then they had become star players for us versus the, the, the plug and play guys that we've had uh, the one year we had Andrew White and John Dillon um, who both had really like, you know, played important roles in those teams, but were not up to speed on the zone, especially, uh, you know, Dylan was, was undersized white came and joined the program. So late. Um, and then obviously the Gino Thorpe fiasco um, just, it, I, I wonder if there's like such a learning curve versus just playing the same man to man that everyone plays that we are not going to necessarily see the same highs that like another program going and adding a big name wing or guard um, could possibly have. Now that I don't think that's necessarily hundred percent because like Canary Richmond is a first year freshman and is our best zone defender uh, at the guard position in like five years. Um, so that isn't to say that like no one can do it, but I do wonder if there's going to be kind of a struggle on that end where like, if we're going to have these years where we have to, stock up on players because we have an transfer out. Like we could be looking at a really lean defensive year the following year. Yeah. I think that's a great point too. Like it's not, it's not as simple as just like, Oh, just add this form of four star and this form of five star and this form of three star. And let's figure it out. Like e- e- even the, even the top guys coming out of high school, like unless they played in his own in, in high school, like there's still a learning curve. Um, it needs to happen. Like Kadari is kind of, you know, again, an exception, not a rule. Like, and yes, we used to do that more often where we'd be able to plug a freshman in. I mean, Tyler Ennis is another one, like a, a guy who comes in as a frosh and is able to quickly make an impact um, on the defensive end. I, I, I think that, you know, Jim has his work cut out for him here and it doesn't mean he can't do it. I think he can, but um, this is going to be probably one of the more challenging off seasons Jim's ever had um, just because there, there were so many pieces, you know, kind of up in the air, both, you know, incoming and outgoing and, and and where do they come from? And I mean, there's again, so many guys um, that as you go after and realistically, like there's plenty of guys who you, you, you could just look at and go, Oh, he's tall. He's, he's long. He's played in the zone or, or used zone principles in the past. Like, great. Like let's add him. But like, it's, it's obviously everyone's going to be trying to replace a ton of pieces um, from their team. I mean, even like programs like North Carolina, like, you know, have, have plenty of work to do on that front as well. Like, we have our work cut out for us. I, I sincerely hope we can not lose too many guys, but also like find a way to add the right fits. They're able to jump in right away. Cause, cause especially this late in Jim's career, I'd love to not have to do like the full reset, um, you know, at, at this juncture. Yeah. And, and I think a big key is going to be getting guys in early. Like I hope, I almost wonder, like, obviously you can't really contact players until they're in the portal, but I wonder if Bayheim's have been like out, not, contacting but identifying fits and like hopefully getting him here before the end of the semester so they have a full uh full summer of learning the zone because i do think that even just having those extra months would be beneficial because like andrew white i think if we had an extra year with him i think he would have been like an all acc player for us and offensively he was already really good but um he came in august that year which i was reminded of today by a friend um if he had come in in may like what the what would the difference have been so um 
it does seem, as I said earlier, like Bayham's been hinting at this being the case for a couple of weeks now. So I think he's pretty well prepared for it. Like, I don't think he's going to be blindsided. Um, and he even seems like not super, uh, obviously, you like hope he isn't like resentful or anything, but obviously Bayham, you never quite know what his reaction to stuff's going to be. Um, but he seems pretty optimistic. And it probably helps that he just came off a Sweet 16 run, another, you know, surprise run in, into the tournament. Uh, you know, the thing he does all the time now. Um, but it, it seems like he's prepared and like, kind of knows where he's heading here um obviously i think we have an idea of who one of those transfers might be someone who's probably uh pretty familiar with the zone uh wink and wink wink um but uh yeah we'll see i'm i'm intrigued i think again like there's a chance if we kind of stem the bleeding in terms of all these transfers we could have a really nice team next year um and and i hope we do because we eventually need to turn one of these deep tournament runs these surprising tournament runs into like being good the following year (laughs) it can't can't just be like (laughs) Yeah, like, I mean, like, 2017, I remember being so excited in the preseason because we added the transfers. We added Ty's battle that year. Um, on paper, we looked like we were going to be awesome after that Final Four run, and we just Yeah, Leiden like, was back. Like, Yeah, Leiden came back. Um, and we had it all, it all, obviously there were injuries and other issues. We didn't really have a center because Tyler had to end up playing center a lot of the time, like Marek did this year. Um, so there were, there were issues beyond, uh, you know, what we anticipated, but... I just hope that, like, at some point we can turn the momentum back into, like, all right, really good, solid, like, top five finish in the ACC. Don't have to sweat it out on Selection Sunday, you know, and then win a couple games of the tournament like a normal team instead of being, like, an 11 seed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I, I completely agree there. And I think it's worth getting into that a little bit more Um, after halftime here. First, just wanted to shout out our sponsors, uh, Homefield Apparel. Homefield makes super comfortable, uh, in my opinion, affordable, just great licensed gear, a uh, lot of vintage stuff. You know, we talk about them all the time, so we won't go into it too much. But realistically, um, if you don't have a home field apparel, t- Syracuse shirt, or another school, if you'd rather support them, um, you should go get one. You can use Noons 10 as your uh, 10% off uh, discount code. Um, so whether it's, you know, the uh, Vita the Goat, uh, whether it's the, uh, you know, kind of traditional auto crest, I know there's the new one. Um, out there that's like the Syracuse, the big S, block S with the uh, drop shadow and the Syracuse along with it um, and kind of cues, you know, written over it. Don't take my word for it, though, with the terrible description I just gave you. Just go check out the shirt. <laughs> I like the new shirt. I'm, I mean, I ordered one over the weekend, so I'm looking forward to getting that uh, to the rotation. Yeah, there's a lot of great shirts. Or maybe you want to, you know, wavy the wave shirt. Or maybe you want the uh, awesome Pelican shirt or Anteater on a surfboard. Or I almost got the Anteater. Shirt. <laughs> I, I still want the Anteater. I got I got the new Wolf Syracuse shirt, the basketball with the Block S drop shadow and stripped Syracuse. There's a lot of elements in that one. Um, I do wish the S was orange, but, you know, that's time home field. Um, and then I also got uh, a Loyola shirt which almost ended up being a really questionable decision because I ordered it. And then I'm like, Oh, we might play them next round. And then they lost. And I was like, okay, we're fine. Cause if we, we had done the elite eight and then lost to Loyola, it would have been a weird, I, I would have had a weird, uh, you know, what time wearing the shirt. Um, but we've been uh, supporters of Loyola as a secondary team here since before their final four run. Uh, you can go back and check, check the records. Um, so I got a nice Rambler shirt with her kind of goofy wolf thing. And then, uh, I got an Alabama shirt. Like I said, I was going to, I got, I'm, I'm turning, uh, turning to the dark side myself. Yeah. I, uh, before they lost to UCLA. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, I, I really supported winners this weekend. 
I just realized I bought shirts for three for three stools that lost. <laughs> just just dance kiss of death. Um, obviously, a little bit of an issue. But uh, yeah, Dan, I, I, I guess uh, since since I'm sure you you know last week you got to do some happy drinking after uh, after the games. Uh, what, what what kind of less than happy drinking did you get to do after the games this past weekend? Uh, after the game Sunday, I think I drank scotch. Uh, nice. But after the games before that, uh, I drank. Uh, oh yeah, I guess we did record since then. Um, I had the last can I had bought, uh, which was the uh sour blueberry mango sour from uh edmund's oast they have like this whole line of sours i end up having them all every so often this one was really good and then i mostly stuck to finishing or trying to finish off my growlers of memory palace by grim and breathing conversations by industrial arts which i believe i spoke about last week so just kind of working my way through those growlers now very nice on this end i had had the other can of dream pop that uh modern times milkshake ipa i had mentioned at a mosh chingona uh, from Highland Park, uh, very good um, as they refer to it. Um, it's a hazy West Coast IPA, and, and it seems like more and more breweries out here are making those. Um, I'm actually seeing a, a, a sudden return to West Coast IPAs being like a staple for people, and I think it's because they realize that. I mean, maybe they don't agree that it's a superior style, but I think there is a larger demand for it than I think they realized. Um, so just glad to see more of those popping up. Also had uh, from Modern Times, uh, Polyfidelity. It was a uh, fruity grisette uh, that was really good. It had pluots, apricots, and bing cherries. Uh, some nice sour there. Had uh, the classic Timbo pills that I always mention. Had a Star Metal Ultra can uh, during the game. It's the fruity Berliner Weiss. And the Okio Malocchio, um, Modern Times uh, Italian style Pilsner. Then I was uh, out in Long Beach yesterday and uh, enjoying some time outside where I got sunburned, uh, but also had some uh, Charisma Check uh, West Coast IPA from Bottle Logic. Uh, it was a pretty good one with uh, Summit Centennial and Chinook hops. Decent enough weekend. I have another, uh, another collection of Modern Times beers I'll be uh, picking up in a day or two. So, As you continue working through your... Uh your servitude toward, toward to modern times yeah i mean they're a great brewery like if you're gonna be tied to tied at the hip to a brewery uh they're far from the worst um to do that but i i know my buddy and i were saying like there's just they have too much good stuff and and, and really i could spend far more um than i have and i'm glad i have not because yeah you just you only have so much room for uh for beer in your house and your your, your stomach and your liver uh before you kind of just run out <laughs> Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I feel that it's always a, a struggle after we load up here and have to work my way through it just to to free up fridge fridge space. A real, a real uh, unfortunate problem. <laughs> just, just just suffering for uh, for the fans here. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, what am I? I can't not talk about beer, so I have to drink <laughs> some. Oof. So Dan, I feel like we got into a lot of the the men's basketball team, a lot of the men's basketball team transfer stuff. Uh, I did want to talk quick about uh, the women's team, and then we can talk some spring football quick. Uh, he's got his work cut out for him now because he's there, there's a lot of players that are that are leaving this program. Uh, I don't really know who's gonna who's gonna suit up for them next year right now. It's uh, it's tough. What what are we at? Seven. One, we're two, at three. we're at six. I think we're at six. Seven six or seven transfers. Or eight. I thought we're at six transfers, but we're at two like additional players leaving. I yeah, think. this is um. It's tough. Obviously, like the the Carol Lewis, uh, the Emily Angstler, which we 
it was a couple days ago now. Um, it's it's a it's not a great situation. <laughs> to be frank, like obviously we I believe another another good recruiting class coming in, and like we have you know five star players that haven't really like had huge impacts uh, the way that some of the other freshmen have. So like there there's there are minutes to be had, and like we have talented players on the roster still, but losing all of like just losing a lot of experience is just never good, especially when it's, it's experience that you were probably banking on moving forward. Um, obviously I don't think Q found out today, but um, it's just, it's uh, yeah, it's tough. You, you, you would hope that like you'd start compiling and like moving players like this forward and then really taking that next step as a program and to um, have this kind of like departure, like love this, this level of departures, um, in a season that you were hoping was like building to the next uh, really throws a wrench into things. But at the same time, it's like, like the men's team, like there are going to be plenty of players available as well. So, um, and we've already added one. Uh, we, you know, have a transfer coming in from USC. So um, it'll be fascinating to see, but it, it, it definitely, uh, I don't think we would sign up for it for sure. Yeah, no, this, this doesn't seem great. <laughs> I mean, some of the good things like Priscilla Williams uh, is still around at least uh, for the time being, uh, Camilla Cardoso, who Sarah Stanley said a couple weeks ago on the podcast that she felt like she was going to be national player of the year soon. Um, that's ideal to have the two of them back. Other than that, though, like, I mean, there's a handful of other players. I don't want to diminish them, but uh, this thing's basically starting from scratch next year now. Um, I, and I think realistically, like, and this isn't like put too much pressure on Q, but like how he handles this offseason um, really does make or break the job. Um, he, he's done a great job uh, recruiting. Um, he's done a great job, uh, you know, kind of get, coaxing this program into something more over the last 10, 15 years. But like now, you know, the spotlight's really going to be on him to figure out, okay, like we, we've done a great job, but like when you lost that many, uh, when you lost that many players to transfer, like how can you reload and how can you quickly get this program back on its feet? Cause while we did make the second round this year, um, we would have made, we would have missed the tournament last year. Um, we haven't made it out of the second round um, more than once um, in our history, but also more than once under Q. I, I think most people would feel kind of antsy with this much talent um, coming in year over year to be able to turn the page. And, and you know, this, this transfer situation hopefully doesn't create a, a bigger bump in the road than he can overcome. I, I think that's that's definitely the thing. Like, obviously, every school is going to have transfers, um, especially now. Like, it's just going to be the case where someone feels like they can get more playing time elsewhere. Um, it's just kind of the way of the world now. But when you have the level, the number of transfers that the women's team has, that the men's team might end up having, like, I do think there has to be some kind of looking inward to say, like, how do we prevent this from happening? Like, obviously, you're always going to have a couple. But you cannot prevent, like, half of your scholarships from going away. Because it's just so hard to fill that. And we've seen what happens when you have, like, you know, we got, we got penalized for our scholarships after the uh, NCAA stuff with the men's team. And, like, this obviously isn't a penalty. But if you have, if you just don't have, if you can't fill the numbers, it's, it's going to have an impact going forward. Whether it's because you're not allowed to or because, like, half your team leaves before. And, it, and it's unrealistic to bring in that many players late. Um, or the players you bring in might be late scholarship guys and they might not be, or, or girls in the women's team. And might not be uh, the level of player that you would have brought in otherwise. So it's uh, it's not a good situation. Um, and I, I do think that as we go forward and have more off seasons with the open transfers, like I think I, I have a feeling that you'll see it wane a little bit. I think people will notice that like 
it doesn't end up always being in your best interest and uh you know the, the dress isn't always greener and i think coaches will get better about finding ways to keep players or finding ways to manage their rosters in order to keep players uh better but for a couple of years it's gonna be crazy for sure and maybe more maybe that just ends up being how it is always but um i do think there has to be at least some level of acknowledgement coming from the coach's side to try to figure out what they can do to like make it less ridiculous because you're not going to prevent everyone from going, but you got to at least prevent guys who are in the future plans um, from like leaving when they're, you know, they're going to have a big role going forward anyway, as long as there isn't like a real conflict in terms of personality or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of this is generational, but I think what this does is it, it encourages coaches to be more honest with players and it encourages coaches to, to, you know, do more toward, you know, active development, like, so that, you know, men, women who are playing college sports, like, especially like, if you feel like you have, or you have an eye on, you know, eventual pro prospects, like why, why sit in a situation where you are two to three years out, if you feel like you can do more and, and, and maybe it challenges, you know, and not to just pick on Jim Beheim, but maybe it challenges coaches like Beheim to say, you know, this six, seven man rotation doesn't work anymore. And, and, and realistically, if I'm bringing guys in who are who are future NBA players at few, four and five star, you know, talent ratings, like you say, OK, like I need to make sure that 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 I not only get my starters rest, but also carve out, you know, seven to ten minutes for this guy early. And then by year two, he's able to jump in and contribute. And it, it's probably going to benefit you, too, as a, as a coach. And it's going to benefit your team. And I think that like all over, you're going to see um, like a lot of coaches maybe adjust how they handle this. Um, because ultimately like guys don't want to wait and really the NBA level, like, well, sorry for the college basketball on the men's side in particular, like if you're going to, if you're going to be able to, you know, leave after a year, maybe you're not even forced to go anymore, um, which could happen very soon. Like why would a guy who thinks that they could potentially be making millions at age 20 sit around um, (laughs) for like two years of like, Hey man, like stick it out and maybe you'll be, playing 25 minutes a game in, in in the zone by the time you're 20 years old like especially if you don't have to sit like th- 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 there's definitely some some benefit to, to to leaving even if you're you might only get like the same amount of time or same amount of minutes like I, I i just think there's there's too much up in the air right now for guys not to for guys to wait unless they have an explicit promise from a coach to say like you're getting x amount of minutes and you're going we want to set you up to be in the nba next year yeah, and it's tough because like you you see guys who even the coach might legitimately say like it's in your best interest to stay. You are, you know, probably not ready to go to the NBA next year. You if you if you leave for another situation, like it definitely might not end up being exactly what we want. Like I mean, look at not to pick on it, but look at Alan Griffin. Like he left Illinois to clearly get a bigger role in the offense. Um, he did for a bit, but. At the, I mean, I don't think anyone was really like that worked up when he was hitting bench late in the year because he just was not providing what we needed on offense. And we were better off with Braswell or Canary or someone else on the floor. So it's, or, or, or Jesse, like it was all over. Um, so it's, it's, it's really complicated because you don't want to do that and then have the player think that you're just like, you know, hating on him when, you know, maybe you are, or maybe you legitimately are like, see what what's the what the situation is uh and but but the nba makes it complicated because because of the one and done i think it would just be better off if they could go out of high school because there are some guys who just do not have the interest in being in college and they're forced into it or you know unless they want to do like one of these alternate routes which are still kind of up in the air uh the g league thing seems to have worked out for the guys who are doing it this year and they're 
I mean, these two of those three guys are going to be probably top 10 picks or Australia or whatever else. But I do think it would be in everyone's best interest if um, the guys who are coming to college basketball in general are like, all right, I want to do this for two or three years uh, and, and see where it goes. But also just it's there's so much pressure to go because, um, I mean, the NBA values youth so much. Like you look at some of the star players who feel like they've been in the league for, you know, for six, seven years and they're like 24. So it's just such a difference for NBA teams to be able to draft like an 18 year old who is going to be a good player in a year or two versus a 22 year old. So I get it. Like, yeah, there's, look there's like Darius real... Baisley, case like 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 for for hidden home for for SU fans. Like, yeah, Baisley that worked out Baisley, completely for him. Yeah, absolutely, like, <laughs> worked out 100. No it would not have worked out better for him going to Syracuse. Like, I will say that 100. Like, the the best no case chance. scenario is basically what the one he's in, and he got paid for an extra year. So like, totally get it. No, no hard feelings for me at all. Um, I think most SU fans have kind of handled that one fa- fairly well, but um, yeah, it seems silly. But even if you're stuck in the G League for a year uh, as a non-college player, and that doesn't seem super glamorous, and I know Bayheim harped on this last year, like, oh, you want to go take a bus to Sioux Falls? Like, yeah, if you're getting paid a hundred thousand dollars for a year, bus to Sioux Falls versus, versus what? A bus to Evanston. Uh... <laughs> Like n- name your other like there's only so many players going to like glamorous cities every like yeah and, I mean and, college, and, and college, spending a ton of time on like on ESPN yeah I mean and and maybe it changes a little bit when NIL passes which we all know is passing it's like not really all that controversial at this point to say maybe it changes when it's like all right I could go to the G League for a hundred thousand dollars or I can play on ESPN a bunch at Syracuse and Tully's will pay me you know fifty grand to to do some Instagram ads and. uh you know, the experience, I'll, it'll be less pay, but the experience will be better. Like, maybe that cuts into it. Um, or Kentucky, you'll probably get, like, you know, you'll probably guys getting $500,000 endorsement deals. But, um, yeah, maybe that levels the playing field a bit. But um, the, the current situation is just completely out of whack. Like, I totally get why guys, even guys who I think are have no chance of being drafted. Um, like, like Quincy. Quincy is not going to get drafted based on how the year ended. I totally get him trying testing the waters. I will totally understand if he leaves just because he's ready to leave. And worst case, he goes ends up in in like Prague mm-hmm. or something playing. Like I, you know, it's hard to it's hard to judge them, even if it seems like the best pathway to the NBA might still be another year at Syracuse. Like it's just it's still tough. Like at some yeah, point. and he's going to be twenty two. He's it. It's it like the 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 clock is ticking. So. Um, yeah, that's all to say that, like, I can't really judge any of the guys who may or may not leave, even if, like, there's a chance they are making a mistake. Like, there's also a very ch- good chance they're not. And, like, one more year at Syracuse does nothing for them. So, yeah, <laughs> it's that's where we're at in terms of college basketball right now. And it's, it's you know, they, something needs to change beyond, like, NIL help, getting rid of the one and done will help. Um, and hopefully we get back to a place where, like, and this isn't, like, a judgment thing. It's just, like, it's more fun when the guys in college basketball want to be at the colleges they're at. And I don't judge anyone who's transferring because, like, maybe they put the wrong situation because recruiting is kind of nasty and, and there's a good chance that you made a mistake at 18. But I think everyone will be happier if we get to a place where, like, transfers are – there are fewer of them. They make sense when they happen. And the guys who are just wanted to the NBA are going to the NBA. And then if they don't get drafted, maybe then they can figure out a college to go to if they want. Yeah, I honestly I, – I completely agree. Like, there's just – this is going to be a weird few years and then everything's going to settle down and it doesn't mean that you won't have transfers in or out. It just means that you'll have a different setup and, and it doesn't mean that, that all the best players will go to the G league. It doesn't mean that all the best players won't like that. There's going to be a fact finding. I mean, look, look at like case in point is you could easily just look at um, what's it called? The uh, you know, early signing period and everything like, yep. 
like it, it took a, it took like two or three years and then everyone's like oh okay so all your guys are just in by december and you'll add a handful more but re- like by and large most of the guys that said okay i'm gonna wait till february like didn't end up going where they thought they were gonna go or schools thought they were gonna go or they didn't end up going anywhere or whatever like it is what it is like but these these like these players aren't acting selfishly and these teams aren't like they're not owed anything either and and, yeah. and these guys have to make the best decision for them as human beings just like any of us like i said this in the comments um, when someone was talking about transfers and they were talking me first generation, all this crap. And I was just like, that's just dumb. Like, yeah, like if you at 18 were told that you, you had the next three years from 18 to 21 to, to, to create, to either make a million dollars and, or, and more, um, in your craft or not, you would do everything you possibly can <laughs> to, to, to set up making a million dollars. Like that's just how it works. So you, just because there's a ball involved here, it doesn't mean that they're not in the same exact situation making the same exact decisions. Yeah, and these guys can always go back to college. <laughs> it's exactly. like, I mean, how many of these guys do? Like, uh, the guys who leave after a year or two go back into their... It's, it's like, super common. That's fancy passed that rule. One of the one of the good rules they were bullied into passing in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, so it's, it, you know, I think it will get figured out is, like, the bright side. I think it is going to be really hairy for a year or two as, like, it, it gets figured out. But I think NIL has done a pass probably in the next probably in the next like eight months. Um, I think uh, the one and done will go away probably in the next couple of years, and those both those two things combined will I think have a big impact. So I think we're we're in for like a, a really weird couple of years, and then after a while it'll just kind of get figured out where we like kind of know the level of transfers that we're going to have, and there'll be fewer because guys are more cognizant of their options, and uh, there'll be more op- opportunities for the players who do go to college uh, in terms of of uh, finances, which is good. So. Yeah, and hopefully this year it isn't too brutal for us. Hopefully we <laughs> we add some good players, and and you know next year we are we are quite good. Just uh, I don't think there's a reason to be excited. I mean, if, like just if Buddy, a you know COVID will hopefully not be a huge issue next season. Knock on every piece of wood in my house. Um, you know, guys will will have done this before, but uh, you know vaccines will be pretty widely available, even for probably a lot of college players. But like, if we get the buddy that we had in March, and like, if we get like eighty percent of that for a full year, like he's gonna be an All ACC player next year, and that's a good starting point. Throw in the center situation. Hopefully, Joe improves. Hopefully, Kadari stays, and he'll. I think. I think Kadari could be uh, like, you know, French All ACC player next year if he takes like a big uh, sophomore leap. So, um, hopefully, the 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 departures are not too significant, and uh, we really build on them well. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, we had a couple minutes here. Just wanted to uh, mention one thing. This was kind of expected, I think, on RN for a while. I'm surprised we only heard about it now. Uh, David Summers, um, on the way out via transfer portal on the football team, uh, he would have been arguably the fifth or sixth QB on the depth chart. I know this past year he didn't see any minutes or snaps, excuse me, uh, despite the fact that um, – Everybody else pretty much did with, with an injury-riddled uh, depth chart. Wish David the best. He's uh, the 12th player to lead the football team this offseason. Not the best news to hear. Some of those guys are more surprising than others. Uh, we do have some room here to add uh, a couple more players, either via Juco um, or you know via the transfer market. Uh, we've only added two um, so far. Uh, Jason Simmons uh, from New Mexico State and obviously Garrett Schrader from the QB position. I think Schrader's emergence um was part was probably part of why um he decided to make this decision i'm sure justin lampson showing up early uh potentially getting more reps um could have been another um here in spring ball 
uh, well, not spring ball, but like off-season practices before we get to spring ball, which start on the 30th. Um, Dan, I guess, A, are you really that surprised by summers? And B, um, is there like one burning question you have about spring ball before uh, before things start this week? Um, summers? No, not really. I, I think uh, with with both Lampson joining the program, that's probably the most exciting quarterback uh, recruit we've had in a while. And the Schrader edition, which, you know, throws in questions for everybody. Um and and the fact that he wasn't one of the guys who got minutes last year uh, or snaps, I guess we're both stuck in basketball season. Here. <laughs> um, uh, um, yeah, no, I, I think you know he kind of got recruited over in multiple ways. So no, not surprised. Uh, he was he was kind of a late addition if you remember back to that that uh, recruiting period. So it was nice to, to add depth. He's a Connecticut guy, which I'm always uh, as a former Connecticut football player always uh, root for those guys when they don't go to. UConn, um, which most of them don't because it's a bad program. Um, but uh, there's there's plenty of stories about that. Um, no, it's it, you know hope that he uh, finds a good place to land and and does well. But it's it's not surprising. CCSU maybe. My dad's alma mater. I would root for that. I would, I'd be fine with that. Why not? I mean, unfortunately, he really hasn't done anything. Like I know he's a Maryland guy before he flipped over to SU. Um, I don't think you go from being having several P five offers to not being able to find any sort of interest at the FBS level. But if he does want to play right away, he does want to just find a way to like jump in and like start. I think the FCS route is the worst one. No, if you're really good at the FCS route, like you have plenty of doors open for you. So it's definitely not the worst one. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, he seemed like a pretty talented player, but definitely one who was going to need a couple of years of work anyway at the college level physically um, and just development wise. Uh, so, but I think the quarterback position it's probably to, to set away to your second question. I think that's that. I mean, that's going to be the story. Anytime you have a possible quarterback battle, it's the story of spring. And uh, we have a really interesting one. We have two very different quarterbacks. We have two experienced quarterbacks, one of whom is experienced at Syracuse. I think DeVito is probably the prohibitive favorite, but I mean, if Schrader, if Schrader just looks like the better player, like they have to go with him, Dino can't afford to mess around. So, um, It'll be really fun to hear what's going on there. Hopefully we get a decent amount of insight. I know Dino has kind of keep things pretty, pretty locked up during the Springs in the years past. But um, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst idea to get like people excited, especially when you have a quarterback battle. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think, I think knowing Dino, we're not going to find out about this one until like, you know, a few days, if not the day um, of, uh, of the season kicking off. So I bet we don't have a quarterback officially announced until like, like you said, maybe the morning of or the day before. Yeah. Like, so, like, some, like yeah, somebody will just like say it. They're like, Oh, I see this person doing X, Y, and Z. And that's well, why. We yeah. end up. We'll know who's getting the most first team snaps or at least like right. from what the media can see. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have like the quote unquote quarterback battle last until into August. Yeah. Um, and I mean, hopefully that's a good thing. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if this helps Tommy. Um, I, Tommy played arguably like he, his most impressive ball was when Dungey was still on the team and he was pushing Dungey. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Schrader pushed him and we got similar results as we did out of Dungey, honestly, who had those up and down games in 2018. And when DeVito came in, like Dungey would return and look better. So um they're all competitors. Hopefully they push each other. Uh, but I think the quarterback position is in an, uh, an interesting, good place overall. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right, Dan. Well, thank you as always for joining. It's, uh, I mean, it's not really like my show, so I don't know why I always do that, but <laughs> <laughs> you and I have been co-hosts of the show for like eight years. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think we, we preempted the, uh, 
the like running joke on uh split zone duo with Godfrey as the 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 guest. <laughs> it's yeah. like yeah, I'm on ninety five percent of the episode, so you know it is what it is. Exactly, um, but yeah. As always, I guess thanks for, for for continuing to make the time in in, in your in your life for the, for the you, you show, are, whatever is, it may be. Of course, we'll, we'll never stop. We'll be doing it into uh, into our old age. Honestly, I think if I'm hosting <laughs> the show at forty, something's gone terribly wrong. I, I fully expect to. <laughs> so fair, fair enough. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess we have some things we need to talk about off camera. Well, we'll work that out by 2026. We'll have a we'll have a an exit plan. Indeed. For you, at least. (laughs) Well, Dan, uh, it's been fun. Uh, That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trainers and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Orange.